0: bottom line, folks, there are answers to our questions. There are many, many books you can go to and find all the answers you're asking. There are answers. You seek them and find a place where you can be biblically fed to encourage your heart and be faithful to our Lord.
1: God of love or God of justice or both? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Today, David continues answering the difficult questions about the Bible. We encourage you to write us with your difficult questions too. You can email them to info at momentsofhopechurch.org. Now here's David with the conclusion of his message, How to Answer Hard Questions.
0: Other hard stories, well, the one that comes to mind is first of all Elisha in 2nd Kings chapter 2 if you don't know this story Elisha is a mighty prophet of God he had received a mantle from another mighty prophet of God Elijah and Elisha's walking down the road one day and the Bible says there's a group of young people who called him bald-headed and God calls out bears from the woods and kills the young people and, and folks read that story and they go what kind of a God is that that calls bears out of the woods and kills little children. Well, let me explain it to you. Elisha, again, a mighty prophet of God, called by God to speak his truth. And the term there for young boys in the Bible doesn't mean kids between the ages of five and 10. It means teenagers and older, mostly between the ages of 15 and 25. So this young kids group was more like a gang of thugs today in our culture. And yes, they called Elisha bald-headed. Although in Jewish genetics, we don't know of anyone ever being bald. So probably what they're referring to is what caused baldness in that day was leprosy. And leprosy had a spiritual tone to it, which means basically evil, that you're godless. So what this thug group was doing was taunting the great prophet saying, who are you? You're filled with sin. You don't have any message for us today. They're probably getting it from their families too. By the way, you destroy the family, you destroy nation. And that's why God didn't want the family to be destroyed. He wanted godlessness to be passed on from mom and dad to children, to their children, to their children, to the thousandth generation. And God was angry at the fact that a group of thugs would say his mighty prophet was a hypocrite, a phony, a fake, so he calls out bears. And he uses bears to judge the godlessness of those thugs. Again, the question is, do you have trouble with God being a God of judgment? Interestingly, in the book of Leviticus, don't you miss Leviticus? Anyway, in the book of Leviticus, God said, if you disobey my moral law, I will use many different instruments to judge you. He said nations and sometimes godless nations I'll use. And then another thing he said he'd use, wild animals, to judge you for your godlessness and sinfulness so again as you read the story of elisha you need to read the story through the lenses of a god who is a god of judgment who hates sin and particularly he wants his prophets those who are willing to stand before you and say thus saith the lord treated with the utmost dignity and respect because it is so courageous in a godless culture for someone to stand on a platform and say, thus saith the Lord, especially if it convicts you of your sin. Then there's Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, which gives instructions to stone the rebellious son And some of you look at it and go, are you kidding me? Uh, Your your son becomes rebellious in the family, you're supposed to stone him to death? It was specifically God's law. Well, what's God getting at here? First of all, in that day, the community was more important than the individual. In our culture, the individual's more important than the community. And somehow, I think we need to reclaim a little bit better balance there because what the individual does affects the community. And in that day, if a son rebelled against his mom and dad, he was basically destroying the family unit And when you destroy the family unit, you're destroying the nation. When America continues to dismantle the family as God intended, we will suffer the consequences at some point in the future. So God was warning against any rebellion from a child against mom and dad. Now, first of all, you need to know there's no biblical evidence it was ever done. Maybe because boys took seriously their responsibilities as sons. But secondly, in Numbers 35, there is the ability for any family to pay down a crime and not make it as serious as originally intended. And it could be that through the ages, that whenever there was a rebellious son, the family would pay down the crime, if you will, and he wouldn't have to suffer the pure penalty of the law. There is one place in the Bible where no one could pay down the penalty of the law. You know what it was? Premeditated murder premeditated murder, had to pay the full consequence of sin. So then the question comes, why is God so different in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament? Here's the interpretation, as many of you read the Bible. The God of the Old Testament is harsh and judgmental. The God of the New Testament is kind and caring. Let's look at the God of the Old Testament. Is he really only judgmental and harsh? Well, what about in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God is found in the garden pursuing them in love. Adam, where are you? Or when he forms the Jewish nation to bring in our Savior who forgives us of our sins, he begins by calling a man named Abraham out of the most godless pagan nation possible. He pursued him first. That's a God of judgment and not love. Or how about him calling Moses to free the Israelites from captivity? Or how about God making himself like Hosea, the one who pursues a godless prostitute that is an analogy of Israel and the church and you and me. God's the pursuer in love in the Old Testament. What do you do with Exodus 34, 6, where it says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, slow in anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, or forgiving David of his adultery and murder and cover-up. The God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and mercy, both, as is the God of the New Testament. Some people say, well, where's the God of judgment in the New Testament? Well, how about Jesus calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers? Now, Now, that's a way to influence people and get new friends, right? Or how about him overturning the tables in the temple because God's place of worship was being misused for money and profit? Or how about this one? The most profound, intimate teachings we have about the reality of hell and what goes on there come from the lips of Jesus. If you remove Jesus' teachings about hell from the Bible, you don't have that much teaching in the Bible. The harshest truths about the reality of hell came from the gentlest lips that have ever uttered a word. So if you really look at the Bible, you'll see that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are exactly the same. They balance grace and truth. John 1.14, it says, Jesus came filled with grace and truth. And dear friends, both of those have to be a part of your theology if you are a biblical theologian. Yes, God's a God of holiness, which demands his judgment. Our sin is an offense to a holy God. He needs to cast us away from him. He can have nothing to do with us in our unholiness. But he so loves us that he became one of us in Jesus and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins because he so loves us. Grace and truth. Next question, why did God create the devil and evil if he loves us so much? Similar question, why did he create the knowledge of the tree of good and evil if he knew Adam and Eve would eat of it and cause evil to enter the world? Here's the answer. You can't understand white unless you also understand black. And you can't understand good unless there's also evil. God didn't create evil, but he created the world with the potential for evil. He knew that love could only exist If people can choose to love, for example, if Marilyn could wind me up every morning, I walk around going, I love you, Marilyn. I love you, Marilyn. I love you, Marilyn. That's not love. I'm an automaton. I'm a robot. Love can only exist if someone can freely choose to love. Marilyn freely chooses to love me every day, and I praise God for that. I still to this day don't understand why, but she does. Your love relationships can't work unless you freely choose to love the other person. And that means that if you can freely choose to love the person, you can freely choose not to love that person. And so God created, first of all, Lucifer as one of the archangels, one of the worship leaders, wanting that relationship with him in love. But Lucifer rebelled against God. He chose not to love God. Why? (laughs) He wanted to be number one. In his pride, he wanted to take the place of Jesus. And he led a rebellion and took a third of the angels with him. He chose not to love and introduced evil into this world. And he tempted Adam and Eve with that same temptation. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You define what's good and evil. You be God. And they bit the fruit and they invited sin into the world. And we're suffering the consequences for it today. That, that's why there's evil in the world. Because God must allow choice. But let me give you this insight too. This is David, Okay? But it has some biblical rootage. I think it's part of the plan. I think it's
2: part of the plan.
0: In creation, Psalm 8 says, God created the angels, then us below the angels. But when sin came into the world, now through the death of Jesus on the cross, if we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted sons and daughters of the Father of the universe. We have royal blood pulsating through our veins. And through the fall, now, we are adopted sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That places us above the angels. And if God is all about love, he wanted a love relationship with us like no other. And it's through the fall that all that happens. It's a mystery. The most often spoken word in heaven is going to be, oh, 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 as God explains to us why. But I'm really convinced that God is using evil for good. It's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. Why do we pray if it's predetermined? Answer, it's not predetermined. We pray for a lot of different reasons. First of all, there's an enemy of our soul who hates us. But secondly, prayer is the instrument God has given us to deliver faith to his throne room. And faith is what moves the hands of God, what moves mountains in our lives. So we pray to deliver faith to God. And there's persistent prayer in the Bible. Somehow we're to keep on praying. And one of my friends once told me, as Jesus sweat droplets of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed, none of us have really prayed fervently until we drop droplets of blood from our forehead. We're to pray and keep on praying. It is God's most powerful instrument he has given us, along with the word of God, to fight the enemy. So it's not predetermined. And we pray mostly because Jesus, our commander-in-chief, said, pray. Not if you pray. When he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, when you pray, pray like this. What happens to people who've never heard of Jesus or died before Jesus' time? Well, first of all, in Genesis 18, 25, you need to know that God is perfectly just in every possible way. His judgments are perfect in every possible way. But we know that for those who lived before Jesus in Hebrews 11, if they looked forward to the coming of the forgiveness of their sins, they had it fulfilled in Jesus. There may be some way that God allows them to enter eternity as they look forward to. Uh, For those who've never heard, we know from Paul in Romans 1 that there are two evidences of God in every person's life throughout the world. The first one is creation Every single person in the world should believe in God because of creation, the ebb and flow of the tides, the photosynthesis of the plants, how everything fits together. And for those of you who are atheists here today, you've got a real problem. It's called prima causa, first cause, and you've not been able to answer it. You take everything back to that first living cell, where did that come from? You take everything back to the Big Bang, how did the Big Bang occur? And a big bang that just suddenly happened in the expanses of eternity that produced this kind of order, that's like saying an explosion in a printing press would create an unabridged dictionary. Where did that first cause come from? Who started it all? Who's the prime mover? It's God. And the evidence of God is in creation. So people are going to be held accountable for their belief in God. Secondly, their conscience. Their conscience. Isn't it amazing that throughout the world, people have similar consciences not to kill their neighbor, to love their families. There's something innate in all of us that's common, and it comes from the moral law of God. So everybody's going to be held accountable for how they've responded to those major things. If there's another way for God to give mercy to people other than Jesus, it's not said in the Bible. And you do need to clearly know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Acts four twelve. the apostle said, there's no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. So that is clear from the lips of my Lord and Savior. And that's why, for those of you who are worried about those who've never heard, why don't you join me in helping me to reach them for Christ? Our commander-in-chief has told us to go into all the world, and tell people who've never heard. Save their sins. It makes their lives better. It's his command. Final question. What if I'm in a church that doesn't uphold the authority of the Bible? Let me give you my one-word answer. Leave. Why in the world would you give your hard-earned money to a place that's propagating lies? Then you ask the question, well, how do I know if they're lying or not? Three places you can go. First of all, abortion. Ask your pastor, what do you believe about abortion? Watch him dance. Listen, God created life, not just in the womb. According to the Bible, God created life before the foundations of the earth. He knew your name before the world was ever created. Wow. Second question, what do you think about gay marriage? If he says, I think it's okay, leave. Because the Bible is so clear in original intent, Genesis 2.24, what God intended marriage to be. And all of the attempts right now academically to look at other passages in the Scripture and say that gay marriage is okay is, first of all, spacious at best and ridiculous at worst. It's terrible. Scholarship. And the one place they never want to go is Genesis 2.24. And I've debated this with people, and they never want to go to Genesis 2.24. They can't. Because it's the creation narrative. It's original intent. And the third question is, what about hell? Do you believe hell is real? Probably they'll start dancing, and you should leave. I don't like teaching it. It doesn't win friends and influence people. But Jesus taught it. And if I'm faithful to him and his word, I must teach it. So don't stay in churches that are not being faithful to the Lord. Leave and find a place where you can be biblically fed to encourage your heart and be faithful to our Lord. Bottom line, folks, there are answers to our questions. There are many, many books you can go to and find all the answers you're asking. There are answers. You seek them. And finally, remember this, though. The Bible's major purpose is to point people to Jesus and to give people eternal life. This book is like a vessel that carries the cargo of Jesus. Don't be a bibliolatrist. don't worship the Bible, but worship the God of the Bible who points to Jesus and your need for an eternal savior. Because if you're not headed toward heaven with faith in Jesus, you're headed toward hell with faith in yourself. I beg you, don't leave today if you're not a Christian and make a decision for
1: listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the power of generosity. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach, cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo, the first Wednesday of every month, at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he forgot something like a lot of young young kids do. He forgot something in the um, space and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and let us all in prayer and close it out and this young man we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half and and that's what it's all about it's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way that sounds great now Bart if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you how would they do that the best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark.
1: I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us.
0: Great to be with you, Jen.
1: Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you touched on a sensitive topic for a lot of us, generosity.
0: Yeah, it's entitled Live to Give, because the truth is we are either givers or takers. Uh, we're either selfish or generous. And I know which the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be givers. He wants us to be generous. So God's the greatest giver of all. Again, John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can you understand even a little bit the Mm. love of the father to give his son for the forgiveness of our sins. It's such an amazing example Mm -hmm. to us of a generous heart. So giving, I think, then begins with understanding that you can't receive with a closed fist, Mm -hmm. That, that God wants to give to us not only salvation, but continually his good gifts as a loving daddy. But the only way you can receive is with an open fist. But the only way that you can begin to have an open fist is to first to give yourself. Mm. I think that's what Jesus meant in Luke 6, 38 when he said, give, and it shall be given unto you. That is not meant for prosperity gospel purposes. It is not meant that God wants to make us rich. It's a simply stating a law of reciprocity, a law in the universe as real as the law of gravity. Mm. In the spiritual world, when you give with an open fist, you can expect to get back from God because he loves a generous heart in order to keep that fist open so you can continue to give even more so Mm -hmm. he can then bless you with even more so that you can then even give more away. Mm. That's the heart of God. In fact, in in the early church, it says in Acts 4:32, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with one another. It was the apostles who laid the foundation of generosity in the early church. It's an example we should have today as well.
1: Well, let me ask you a question since you brought up this verse. Isn't that Socialism?
0: Oh, so you've been asked that, I bet. I have. Yeah, in this world today where socialism is particularly intriguing, especially the younger people, they try to find Bible verses that support it, and they point to this one often. Jen, the difference is the people gave their possessions and laid them at the apostles' feet by choice, mm. not by mandate. They didn't have the government telling them they had to do it and force, coerce them to give. They did it from the generosity of their own hearts. It has nothing to do with socialism. In fact, it has everything to do with capitalism, which has been the most generous form of economic oversight in the history of the world, though flawed because greedy people can accumulate too much, it's still the best system in the world and what has eliminated most poverty wherever it's been practically applied throughout the earth's existence. So that's the answer to that question. Thank as you well. for clarifying
1: that. You bet.
0: And let's get back to the whole idea of being a giver, not a getter. We are not able to receive God's abundant blessings ourselves with a closed miserly fist. In fact, the two words miser and Miserable come from the same hmm. word source. Wow. Uh, we are happiest when we give. So folks, live to give. Be generous. Don't be miserable. Don't be a miser. Uh, The joy of the Lord is in you when you give. And I find it interesting that Jesus himself said in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed. You're happier when you give than receiving. Live to give. That's today's message.
1: I love that. Thank you so much, David.
0: Thank you, Jen. And if you would like to receive, listeners, these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They are free of charge every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m. A gift from me to begin your day with a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's HopeCast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly wisdom for the leaders in our nation.